if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us for being with us on this Monday, the first morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord 2020. Thanks again to Congressman Jim Jordan who joined us last segment with thoughts on what's going on in this country as hundreds of cities burned. Um, thousands of businesses have been destroyed, which means that tens of thousands of people have been added to the, un- the unemployment rolls. Um, Thanks to the rioting that has been gone on, organized in many and most cases, uh, in the wake of the death of George Floyd. So when it comes to policing, which is at issue in the death of George, George Floyd, police training, police conduct, police abuse in that particular case, and when it comes to race, um, add those two things together, there aren't too many people I would go to before I go to our next guest. Sergeant Dr. Dimitri Penny, Trey Penny, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer from Dallas, Texas. Sergeant Penny has been uh, in charge of the Dallas Fallen Officers Foundation for many years. Uh, we talked to him and first met with him or uh, spoke to him in 2016 after the horrific shooting that took five police officers' lives and injured nine others in July of 2016. Since that time, uh, Sergeant Penny, again, he is now Dr. Penny. He is a Ph.D. and also a candidate for Congress in Texas's 30th Congressional District. Sergeant Penny, good to have you back on our program. How are you, sir? Yes, sir. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on, bud. What What do you prefer? Is it sergeant or doctor now? Which one do you want? <laughs> I got to go by Dr. Penny now. I'm running for Congress. Doc, there you go. And that's fine. But, of course, in this particular case, I may keep calling you sergeant because, again, you know, as an African-American and a police officer, you are one who has a unique perspective because um, you understand what Black Lives Matter uh, is, you know, what the narrative is. And as a black man, you probably have some certain thoughts about that. But, of course, as a police officer, you um, uh, have some uh, definite opinions on uh, the accusations that police officers in America are somehow targeting and or hunting African-Americans. So uh, with that very well, unique uh, vantage point that you have, Dr. Penny, let me ask you uh, your thoughts on what we've seen over the last five days yeah let me let me first say that you know my thoughts and prayers do go out to the uh, george floyd family um look i got i grew up in houston texas uh in fact a lot of my my cousins and family members actually went to school with george floyd that's how small this world is um but at the end of the day the 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 issue is not about the police and it, it's not it's not like a, a 
uh, a pervasive problem with law enforcement, that they have blown this into, okay? Uh, let me say that in my own lifetime, I was brought to law enforcement after witnessing my cousin get killed in front of me at the age of 16. That pushed me into law enforcement. And let me say that none of those officers that showed up at the scene that time looked like me. Okay, so let's let's move away from this racist police cop thing. Now, what I will say that what was indicative of what happened to George Floyd that day, um, that officer's action is not representative of what happens in law enforcement because we're not trained like that. So if you hear officers saying that, you know, hey, we're trained to, to no, 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 that, that's not trained, okay? Uh, especially when a, when a young man or a woman, whoever it is, whenever a person says that they can't breathe, that's when the officer goes ahead and they adjust their positioning uh, on, a, on an individual of individual back or neck, whatever is happening at that time. And, and another problem that I had with that, with the issue itself, was the fact that uh, the officers around did not intervene. Right. Now, we police ourselves in the field. In the field, whenever we're doing something, look, we get angry like anybody else. And if something's happening, you know, a lot of times officers that go overboard, we have peers that with us that help bring us in. Why that didn't happen on this day, I don't know. And it's not for me to judge it. But what I can tell you, is that these radicalized riots, these movements, uh, the same uh, radical initiative that was used in 2015 following the, the uh, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. we're seeing that times 10 now with, with somewhat of this, this, this pervasive idea of, of anarchists now joining it, this, this ideology. And it's all about damage, destruction, and, and violence against police. Um, Sergeant Penny, go back to the actual in, uh, incident with uh, Mr. Floyd. Um, it's my understanding, and I talk to a lot of cops. I have a lot of cop friends. Um, and it's my understanding the knee on the back that is used is usually only used in, until you are able to secure handcuffs on a suspect so that he is no longer a threat. Um, the knee on the neck, according to every cop I've talked to, is never used. It's not taught in the academy. It's not taught anywhere else. But if it did need to be used, once again, you know, kneeling on him somehow to keep him down, it's only until you gain control of the suspect and, and get him handcuffed. To my understanding, right. this guy did something that no police department ever teaches, and he did so against a suspect who was non-resistant. He, he wasn't resisting arrest. We saw the earlier part of the video where he was handcuffed and walked over toward the vehicle. How he ended up on the ground with a knee on the neck is anybody's uh, guess. But, I mean, just the procedure itself is what is so striking here because it's not what police officers do. Correct. Correct. I mean, look, we as law enforcement as a whole, and look, I'm, I'm the greatest law enforcement advocate you're going to find. Look, I go fight for officers across this country when whenever they're being done wrong, right? I try to look at everything from a use of force perspective to try to make sure that, that you know, we are validating our arguments uh, from a law enforcement perspective. There's nothing that I can find about that. you got eight minutes of, of, of remaining on someone's neck, right? Whether whether he died from asphyxiation or not, we know that, that having your, neck on, your, your knee on someone's neck for that long of a time, there was a possibility for this person to, to lose consciousness, right? Right, right. That's why, that's why a lot of agencies have said you only can use the LVNR, uh, lateral, lateral vascular um, uh, neck, neck restraint. restraint. You can only right. use that, right, in a deadly force scenario, right, because they know the potential of someone losing their life once you cut off that air for that long of a time, right? Um, 
I think that this that 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 issue, and I don't know, I don't know what's happening with that particular department, right? Uh, well, there, I don't, I don't either. But this wasn't a newbie either. This wasn't some, you know, newbie. He, he's a 19-year guy. I mean, and, years, and so yeah. it just makes you wonder how long he's been practicing these techniques that are not only not only not taught in police academies, but but are illegal. Quite frankly, uh, like you said, unless you were in a de- deadly force situation where somebody's trying to kill you, and if you've got to apply something like that to stop them from doing so, then you know what, all bets are off. But that's that clearly isn't what happened here. Let, let's pivot, Doctor Penny. Yeah. We're talking to Doctor Trey yeah. Penny. Uh, formerly known to me as Sergeant Dimitrik Penny, but he is both a police sergeant, uh, a police sergeant, and uh, uh, also a, a candidate for Congress, as well as a PhD in education. So, Doctor Penny, let's talk about Black Lives Matter. As these protests start out, and in many cases they did start out peacefully, marching, chanting, holding signs, and so on, and that's what people do, and that's okay. I took part in a protest here in Ohio about. For three or four weeks ago, uh, holding a sign uh, demanding that Governor Mike DeWine open up the state of Ohio against this ridiculously unlawful, unconstitutional lockdown over the coronavirus. So that's fine. That's what people do. But that isn't what Black Lives Matter set out to do, and it isn't what Antifa set out to do. And we've seen all kinds of evidence of their coordination and communication on social media to create chaos, havoc, and violence in American cities. Um, Can you, again, as a black man who has experience with Black Lives Matter, um, what what is your analysis of what we are seeing over the course of the, you know, particularly the riots of the last four nights? Well, I, I can say that these, these riots, so Black Lives Matter, as we formally knew it back in 2015, that was an actually organized movement, right? They, they had a defined leadership and all that, right? You had, you had all the structure of a, of a, what, what a, what we would define as, as, um, essentially being a, a, a gang or group, you know, that's, that's, that's out here doing nefarious activities. Like you had a leadership, you had somebody that you can go after. Now you fast forward to, to, you know, 2020, and we see this, this morph of this idea. So now you have hashtag, you have the Black Lives Matter movement itself, the, 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 the movement, which is more of an ideology, right? People use it, you know, you have people saying, you know, using it for good purposes. Hey, you know, I'm, I support Black Lives Matter. Then you have people that, that are now using it, uh, and we see this in the underworld. And we gotta get back to, we gotta get back to talking about social media. We see this in this, in this dark world where Black Lives Matter is being used along with F-12. You remember we talked about that several years ago, about the, you know, I don't want to say the word, but the F-word, 12, uh, that's also these um, these negative uh, hashtags that are being used to incite violence against police. So online, uh, and, and if you look at the, if and I sent you some links over the weekend, because I did want you to look at how these groups are organized, Right. They're using Black Lives Matter. They're using uh, anarchist ide- ideologies. They're using Antifa. They're using uh, F-12. All these hashtags are being pushed together. They're being merged together to get people to go to one place at one time exactly. to converge on police. Okay? And that's where we are in danger. That's why our officers are in danger. Because law enforcement doesn't have the resources to even be able to keep up with. They, 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 social media... And I hate to I hate to divert this this wide on this, but social media is the problem in this. Okay, yes, the people's actions are the problem, but we got to look at what's inciting them to do it. And these encrypted apps that America has put in no safeguards to allow our uh, law enforcement to be able to counteract. 
those things are what's causing our officers to be in danger. And until we get a hold of that, we're going to continue to be in danger. It's not about calling for peace. Hey, let's just work with the community. It, it doesn't matter what they do in this matter, right? Until National Guard, until law enforcement get a hold of this, until they get a, enough people out there to, to shut people down, they are going to continue. Why? Because it's about the agenda. It's not about, uh, it's not about justice for Floyd. This is, that's just the message that they're carrying. This is about an agenda, a radicalized agenda to attack police, circumvent government, and to hurt people, destroy businesses. Sergeant Penny, uh, Dr. Penny, I could not agree with you more. That is very well said, and there's a lot more to talk about here, but we're out of time for today. We'll have you back on again because obviously this isn't going away. By the way, uh, did you notice anybody screaming Black Lives Matter? Did you notice anybody organizing protests for the death of Patrick Underwood in Oakland uh, on Friday night? No. Patrick Patrick oh. Underwood, if you did not see this, because I know there's a ton of stories in a ton of cities. Patrick Underwood is a black 53-year-old federal police federal officer in Oakland, California, who was shot as he tried to keep the peace amongst the riots in uh, in uh, Oakland on uh, Friday night. So, uh, you know, he's a black mm. man, and I'm wondering if his black life matters, because according to uh, what we have watched and listened to, it doesn't. Uh, the black life only mm. matters when a police officer takes that life. So I just wanted mm. to make sure we get that out there. Dr. Penny, uh, well. thank Thank you so much for coming on. Great analysis, great insight. Uh, tell, real quick, super quick, because it's already ten twenty-two. But you are running for yes. Congress, and uh, you're trying to unseat a black female Democrat who is the incumbent there. What are your chances? Well, hey, look, I get, I love the people love it. So look, this is a heavy Democrat district. I knew what I was doing when I put my name in the hat. I am now the uh, Republican nominee for this district. I will be running. You will see me on the November ballot. Okay, and. This is a great opportunity for change. This lady's been in office since for, for 26 years. I'm sorry, 28 years. She's, she's about 85 years old, and now the people are ready for change. Especially I hope you're right, my man. I hope you're right, because because right Dal- Dallas yeah. is a very liberal city, and that's a liberal district in the red state of Texas. So you got your work cut out for you, my friend, and I know you're up to it, though. But thank you, uh, uh, Dr. Penny. We'll talk to you again soon. But make sure you send people to the website. Give that website. Yeah. Website Penny for Congress, P E N N I E for Congress.com. You got it, my brother. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thank having you, brother. That's Dr. Trey Penny on AM 1420, The Answer, live from Dallas, Texas. He is uh, he's an expert on all of these things. And uh, we'll be back after this. Okay, it's 1028. Thanks uh, again to uh, Dr. Penny. Uh, joined us from Dallas, Texas. Certainly appreciate that. He's got a very unique insight and experience to share there. And um, we will definitely call on him again to make more sense of this. Uh, I'm going to get a couple of calls in here before the bottom of the hour. Let's go to Mike, who is in Cleveland. And Mike, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, I have a question to ask. Is there a line that would be crossed where the police and the National Guard shoot at these demonstrators slash rioters slash protesters. And by that I mean, what if they storm into the Cleveland Museum of Art and steal and set fire to the Van Goghs, the Renoirs? What about if they, during a pandemic, storm into the hospitals, raid and loot the hospitals and set fire to the hospitals? What about the infrastructure, Perry Nuclear Power Plant, the Water Sewage Treatment Plant, is there a line 
that could be crossed where the police and the National Guard must open fire. Well, um, my not being an expert in the field, uh, obviously, just take this for what it's worth. But yes, uh, there would be circumstances, I believe, in which deadly force would be uh, would be uh, appropriate to use. Now, if they're looting the Nike store, probably not. Can you try to stop them? Can you fire perhaps rubber bullets at the, at them or bean bags, as we have seen before, things that hurt really, really bad but are not going to kill anybody to get them to disperse and stop what they're doing? That's probably appropriate for the Nike store. The setting fire to a hospital, the attacking and looting a, a you know a, a place where a, you know large number of people or as you say infrastructure or nuclear plant or something like that, whatever has to be done to stop a threat has to be done to stop a threat. My guess would be that the orders given to the cops and to the guardsmen would be contingent upon the threat that is that the uh, the rioters are are making you know if it's something that would be lead to large scale uh, loss of life then you have to do what you have to do and that includes using deadly force if it's to stop the stealing of TVs you probably don't use deadly force but I think they should use some force I thank you for your opinion I just wanted to put it out there and I wish everybody well Thank you. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. You know, I asked Jim Jordan that very question an hour ago. I said to him, you know, because he talked about, you know, the president and other governor uh, governors across the country should call up guardsmen to uh, keep the peace or at least bring the peace, reestablish the peace. And I said, under what orders? What orders would the guardsmen be given? How much leeway would they have to use force to bring that peace back around? And uh, the answer is obviously a very, very loaded one. No pun intended. Uh, right back after the news on AM 1420, the answer. Ten thirty-six. As we continue now on AM fourteen twenty, the answer. Thanks for being with us. Twenty-four minutes of an- analysis left for you. Then we're going to turn it over to Mike Gallagher, Dennis Prager. Uh, then, of course, you'll have the doctor, Doctor G, Sebastian Gorka, and uh, a little bit of uh, Jay Secular live before you get to Larry Elder. I really can't wait to hear Larry Elder's perspective on this tonight. Why? Because Larry Elder's an African American. It matters. It matters. It just does. It shouldn't. It's not supposed to. All of our analyses should be taken for what they're worth. But you know as well as I do that in matters regarding race like this, the perspective of African Americans matters. And that's another one of the reasons why this is the perfect guest at this time. I want to say good morning now to Vince Everett Ellison. He's an author. <clears throat> A little bit of background just because I have it. Mr. Ellison was born on a cotton plantation in Haywood County, West Tennessee, to parents who were sharecroppers. Did he let that hold him down? Did he let that stop him from achieving and uh, uh, finding his place? No, through hard work and faith in Jesus Christ. His father prospered in the insurance industry, pulling himself and his seven siblings out of poverty and into the middle class. And that is what we are told by too many today cannot happen. Cannot happen. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you are of a particular color in America today. The racism, the systemic racism of America will hold you down. Mr. Ellison does not believe that. He's the author of The Iron Triangle, Inside the Liberal Democrat Plan to Use Race to Divide Christians and America in Their Quest for Power and How We Can Defeat Them. Uh, Vince Ellison, thank you so much for coming on. How are you this morning? I'm very good, Bob. How are you today? 
I'm fine. Thank you, sir. Boy, what a story you have. Before I ask you a little bit about what's going on in this country right now and how it relates to the book that you wrote, uh, tell me more about your background. Anytime I see little biographical notes like this of people who, you know, overcome difficult odds, especially if you are in a generational cycle of poverty, which a lot of people are, not always minorities, uh, a lot of rural, uh, impoverished white people in this country too, but whenever they are able to rise above that particular station in life and achieve something and to rise, you know, to again, there's that old adage of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm fascinated by it. Tell me a little bit more about your, uh, uh, your, uh, your, your childhood and uh, what it took for you and your family to rise up out of that as you grew into an adult. Well, as I grew up, um, living in West Tennessee, one of the one of the two things that was very 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 absolute there was music and <clears throat> Jesus Christ. West Tennessee was Elvis and Isaac Hayes and 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 and, and all the great stacks and Motown singers came from. So we sang and so we had a singing group called the Ellison Family, and we went to hundreds of black churches singing uh, gospel music. My mother and father had a song. My father wrote. He said, "What is the Lord satisfied with me?" All my life. I was taught that that's the thing that I should be concerned with. And I found that one big problem we have when it comes to our, our so, quote-unquote civil rights leadership and our political leadership is they're concerned about how they are viewed by a white society, especially by a white racist. You know, do you love me? Do you like me? We're going to march to make you love me. And I'm concerned about Jesus Christ being satisfied with me. Uh, after working in a prison for five years, and I saw these black men going to jail and white men going to jail. I designed my post to find out what was going on. And I was told, of course, by the black intelligentsia that the problem was rich, dirty, white, conservative Republicans. And they hated black people and they put them in jail. Well, I started a nonprofit organization, and I found that it wasn't rich, dirty, white Republicans because none of them were in the black community. It was the Iron Triangle, and they consist of most black preachers, most black politicians, and most black civic organizers. Mostly it comes from the apostasy that now exists amongst black preachers who are now just paid contractors for the Democrat Party. Uh, they'll get in the pulpit on Sunday and say that they're against abortion, they're against uh, the LGBTQ you know, agenda, they're there for hard work, and therefore the, 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 the traditional family, the men and women getting married. But then they'll go out and tell black people to vote for politicians that stand exactly against those principles. They tell them to vote for politicians that uh, tell them to give up their, their right to keep their arms. The Democrats have been lying to black people for the last 50 years. I don't have to tell you that. They said, if you give us our children, your children, we'll educate them. They didn't. If you kick out your, your husband, we'll provide for you. They didn't. If you give us your gun, we'll protect you. They didn't. So now black people are waking up 50 years later. They've been riding since 1965 and what up until now, and the Democratic Party is still in charge. The question I have for them now is that when are you going to kick the bombs out? Because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and accepting a different result. I said in my book that this is going to happen. I tell in my book how the Iron Triangle got their power. I expose them as the liars and the traitors that they are. And their main goal is to make sure that black and white Christians, they separate them. Because if we ever start talking, if we ever come together, we will not just change America, but we'll change the world 
for the good. And the liberals know that. And the biggest secret out there is that the white liberal is the, is the biggest enemy of black America, not the white conservative. But, the, but because we don't show up, and it's this old Baldillian term, 90% of any gig is showing up. Because we don't show up enough, they hear one side of the story. And that one side of the story is that we are their enemy. We want to keep them down. And the, and, 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 the, and the Northeast and white liberal says, we're your friend, and we're taking care of you. And you know, like I know, that's nothing but a lie. So my book is a primer for conservatives to read, and it will teach them how to talk to their neighbors, black and white, and expose this lie and give them information that they can use to make sure that we can turn this thing around. Wow. That's powerful. What a great, what a great uh, story, and what a great explanation of how you came up and uh, how you came to find out what you did. You did the work, you did the legwork, you did the research to find out who's really going to try to help and who's really going to try to take care of you, et cetera. You tweeted. I want to pivot now to what's going on in this racial strife. Not that it's all black against white in the streets right now. There are a lot of white liberals virtue signaling that I'm woke to, so I'm marching with Black Lives Matter, and I'm joining in the rioting and the and the looting and so on and so forth. So this isn't like it's all black against white, but it is um, Black Lives Matter and Antifa against uh, our capitalist society. You tweeted today, all of the, you said retweet this, all of these riots are in Democrat-controlled cities. Isn't it obvious? The Democrat Party has failed black America and all of America. Kick the bums out. Tell me a little bit more about that. I have seen many lists about Democrat cities, the ones who have had Democrat leadership for the last several decades, are the ones that are always the poorest, the ones with the highest unemployment, the ones with the lowest income, uh, average, etc. And now they're the ones that have all of the riots in them as well. Tell me a little bit more about that. You know, let's, let's go back to the old plantation system. Um, okay. This is a story that Larry King tells. Um, uh, uh, Frank Lunt, the guy that wrote Words That Matter, Words That Work, gave this story. He said that uh, he asked Larry King, what is your most memorable Because Larry King had given a thousand. And King said Martin Luther King Jr. in 1964. And uh, he asked him what happened. He said, well, King was trying to integrate this, this hotel in Florida, and he had been called to come down and cover it. And when they wouldn't give King the room, King sat down in the middle of, of, of the doorway, and the police were coming to arrest him. And the police officer asked King, said, what did you want? And King said, I want my dignity. Now, I hate that story. And I hate it because I hope that before Martin Luther King Jr. died, he understood that no man could give him his dignity. It was given to him by God. He could give it away, but he had his dignity. And during the March on Washington, when he made his speech, he said that uh, 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the Negro is still not free. That's not true. I was born free. God gave me my freedom. It is an unalienable right, and my unalienable rights are irretractable, non-transferable, unsellable. These are my rights. They have told black people and a large segment of the white population that government controls these rights and that if you're not happy with your life, it's because of government and you have to go to government to, and, and get them to fix it. That is a trap because government cannot fix it. It's like coming to me saying, this Ellison can teach you how to fly off of the top of your house. Go to him and he'll teach it. And if he doesn't do it, it's because he just doesn't want to. I don't have the ability to do it. 
government doesn't have the ability to fix these people's lives, but they set up a false narrative that told the left, the young people especially, and all black people, that you go to government for everything that you want. And it has failed them. So black people were told to go to the big city. That's where they went. In the big cities, you can have free food, free housing, free medical care, free education, and free security. When they walked into these cities, the first thing they said is, you have to be disarmed. Give us your gun. Black people were leaving government said, okay, here, take my gun. After that, they had them. They started pumping in the dope. They started pumping in the drugs. They started protecting the drug dealers, giving them guns. Next thing you know, you got violence. You have people on, on drugs. Men started going to jail. The violence pushed all of the businesses out. Poverty came in. You had food deserts. There it was. It is a cultural genocide that is happening in black America right now. We're at a tipping point where we might not be able to turn it back. We're at that time when Cyrus the Great became uh, 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 king and he sent the, 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 the Jews back to rebuild the, 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 the walls of uh, Jerusalem because there were only a few left that remembered the culture before they went into exile. This is where we are now in black America. I grew up, in, I was born in 1963, so part of my life was in the Jim Crow South. Not all of it, but I remember it well. Right. I never remember a time that I was ever in jeopardy because my father, who is still alive today, always had a gun. He had a shotgun sitting on the side of his bed and a forty-five revolver under the seat of his car. It was never a time in his life that he was not armed. Even today, he tells me at 78 years old, boy, I can still pull the trigger. He has never been robbed. He's never been accosted. He's never been in jail because my father walked this world like a man. He taught me to do the same thing. And my brother, nobody bothers us. No one. And yet, if no I may interrupt, if, if I may interrupt for a second, uh, Mr. Ellison, and yet the party that you're talking about, the liberal Democrat party would disarm your father. If if they could, yeah, and and ninety yes, percent of ninety uh, percent of Black America votes Democrat, and and Democrats are the ones being hurt so much more by, uh, or excuse me, Black people are, are the ones being so hurt by those liberal Democrats that get that ninety percent of the vote. And this is their plan. This is what they want. It's been that way since their inception in eighteen hundred. They have never that party has never existed during a time where they could not legally murder Americans. They have demanded it in the, in, uh, uh, in, in, from 1800 to 1860, it was slavery. You could kill your slaves anytime you wanted to, rape them, beat them. They demanded it. During the Civil War, it was wholesale killing. They killed Americans, white and black, legally. After the Civil War, during the Jim Crow laws and the Black Code, killing, lynching, all the time. And then once we got through that, they had to pass abortion. And now they're really killing them wholesale on industrial level. This is a party of murder. It is an anti-Christian party, and the fact that black preachers support it shows you that they are an apostate group. I put Let- it at their feet. A tree is known by the fruit it bears. You cannot get good fruit from a rotten tree. You cannot get bad fruit from a good tree. <clears throat> and the black community is right now, they're having a difficult time, and a lot of it is rotten to the core, and that's because the tree that bears that, that, that the fruit is also rotten. Mr. Ellison, I've got time for just one more question and probably a shorter answer than you might like to give, but do your best with it. What message do you have for black America out there riding? And, and, uh, and again, it's not all black people riding. I want to be clear about that. You sure. see plenty of white people in those videos and other, all, all races. But 
Black Lives Matter and those organizations that are out there riding over the death of George Floyd. What message do you have for them uh, and their belief that this was an example of systemic racism in America where the police force is always doing this to black guys and that white America is responsible for that? What is your what is your message to those people? There were 7,000 black men killed last year by black men, and nobody rioted. Black lives only matter when killed by white men because they want to use our race pain for their gain. The only thing that will save us is for us to go back to Jesus Christ, for us to look at our white brothers and sisters in Christ and sit down and hold their hands and we talk and we reason with one another. And when we do that, we will see this country change. I believe it like I believe, I'm looking at the sun in the sky right now. He is the only thing that will change us. If we start looking at how another man perceives us, Jesus says that if you say he hates me, he says, love it. Uh, he lied on me. Pray for him. He always gives it. He sends it right back to you. You do what you worry about what you're doing. Do not ever worry about what that other person's doing. Well, he's trying to kill me. Pray for him. Love him. You can do anything you want to me, but you cannot make me not love you. You can say what you want. You cannot make me not love you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to go forward. And the light that I shine will eventually change the evil man to a good man. This burning in the street, this looting is not of God. If you are a Christian, let your light shine so you so you can show people the glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ. And, and, and our people have turned because we have pastors up in the pulpit on Sunday morning. They will preach the most demonic hate. You remember Jeremiah Wright, GD America? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All the time. Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson. They're some of the worst people ever walked the face of this earth. And they are the ones, they are having a apostate, apostate religion. They're having a apostate ministry. And they're driving black Americans against their fellow white Christians. And that's exactly what white liberal atheists want. They want us fighting. Before Jesus Christ went to the cross, his last prayer was a prayer of unity. He wanted us to stay unified because he knew that faith was going to come and break us apart. And he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Liberals are dividing black and white Christians. My book will tell you, go to irontrianglebook.com. That's my website, irontrianglebook.com. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook, and we're going to keep this conversation rolling. And we're going to defeat them at their own game. It has been a while since I've interviewed an author that got me as fired up about something as you have with this. Uh, I want to thank you for that. Uh, uh, Vince Ellison's Twitter is Vince E. Ellison. It's all spelled just like you would think. Vince E. Ellison. That's his Twitter account. You just heard him t- tell you his uh, website is irontrianglebook.com, and the book is called The Iron Triangle, Inside the Liberal Democratic Plan to Use Race to Divide Christians and America in Their Quest for Power and How We Can Defeat Them. Mr. Ellison, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the conversation, sir, and I would love to talk to you again. Bob, anytime I'm at your disposal, anytime you want to talk, just let me know. Thank you, sir. God bless. Vince Ellison, Vince E. Ellison on AM 1420, The Answer. Short segment coming up to wrap it next on AM 1420, The Answer. I'm uh, I'm excited about that book. You know, a lot of times I get uh, guests on after I've read their book, 
Uh, sometimes I haven't read it, and I just need a synopsis of it, and then we'll talk about it. I haven't read his book yet, but after talking to that gentleman, Vince Everett Ellison, and reading the synopsis of it that I have, I am very excited about that book, and I hope you are as well. It's called The Iron Triangle. Um, let's go back down to Texas. We already had uh, Sergeant Dr. Demetric Penny on from Dallas. This is Will in Houston, Texas, on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Will. Go ahead, my man. Hey, brother, how you doing, man? That that Good. was powerful. That was powerful. I, I I needed to hear that, and I'm def, definitely going to going to follow that, brother. That that was that was great. I like um, it. One one thing that I would add that 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 I think that he probably should have mentioned in terms of you know what what would he, what would he say to you know for your last question, mm-hmm. I, I would have said you know that people really really need to start focusing on the media as being part of the uh, the big catalyst and all of this racial division, all of this racial divisiveness and, and, and the, the narratives that they push that, that, that get all this stuff going, you know, that the, the media, man, I really truly believe, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing, you know, the, the bias report and everything is, is really, really making, you know, pushing a lot of this stuff that's, that's going on. Um, one, one other thing I, I just want, want to mention real quick, you, you mentioned earlier at the beginning, uh, I guess of the show, Talk when you mentioned about you know stuff going on in, in Chicago, um, uh, there there are people that, that bring up the stuff that goes on there, but it's nowhere near nowhere near in proportion to the amount of of, of carnage that goes on there. Uh, 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 no nowhere near the amount of, of uh, attention that needs to be brought to, to what's going on. Right. So, well, well, well. Most importantly, there's no BLM. There's no Black Lives Matter out there showing and demanding that those lives absolutely. matter in in Chicago. Absolutely. That's you know that's and that's just one example. Uh, my friend, absolutely. I got to run. I'm up against it here. I thank you so much for calling. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to everybody as well. Andrew and Marcy, great job today as always. Thanks to my guest, Congressman Jordan, Sergeant Penny, as well as Vince Everett Ellison. Thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Be safe. Be well. Be free. Bye bye.